Luke chapter 10, we'll read from verse 38 through the next chapter to verse 13. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her house to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Chapter 11 One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and do anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet, because of the man's boldness, He will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The other day I was talking to someone here, I think it was, about teaching your kids to drive. I'm already dreading that day. I find it hard enough to teach my kids to tie their shoelaces. I find that stressful enough. So I can only imagine how stressful it must be to try to teach your own 
teenage kids how to drive on the road when you're powerless as a passenger. I remember when my mum was teaching me how to drive and normally, you know, how you spend a lot of time in the back streets learning the basics, like which pedal is the brake, which one's the accelerator, which one's the clutch, pretty basic, important stuff. But I was the third child and mum had three other kids after me, so I think she was getting a little bit impatient and she got me out on the road on my first driving lesson. You can see why I'm scarred and already dreading teaching my kids. You see, mum had this philosophy of of throwing people into the deep end so that they'd learn how to swim, which I always thought was kind of ironic since she was a terrible swimmer herself. But for for a while, her approach of throwing, throwing me in the deep end seemed to be working all right until I got into town on a steep hill on a busy intersection and I got confused about which one was the clutch and the brake and the accelerator and how to use them and I, instead of stopping, went sailing straight through the intersection completely out of control. Now, apart from the psychological trauma, which you can see I'm still working through, no damage was done. And thankfully, Mum decided that it was time for us to go back to the basics for a bit longer. When you're on your L plates, when you're learning to drive, there are some things, some lessons that you've just got to learn very quickly, some lessons that are more important than other lessons. And so when I think about teaching my kids to drive... I think we're going to focus on how to stop for the first 12 months or so. These last couple of weeks, we've been following Jesus on the journey to Jerusalem. This is the final phase of Jesus' ministry before he dies. And on this journey, we've seen that Jesus is teaching what it means to follow him. And it's been quite confronting as Jesus challenges many, many things that we hold sacred. Today on the journey, Jesus teaches his followers the most basic lesson of all. He teaches them about the one thing that's absolutely necessary if they want to follow him. This is the one thing that we need to learn very quickly, like which pedal is the accelerator, which one's the brake. This is the one thing that we need. And Jesus says, this is it, that we need to be a learner, an L-plater, life. We need to sit at Jesus' feet before we stand and serve. Jesus' followers, they learned this on the journey in the lounge room of a lady named Martha. Have a look at how it happened in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, it's not hard to imagine how the evening unfolded in Martha's place, Martha, a hard-working lady, gladly welcomes Jesus into her her home and probably as many disciples as would would fit in there as well. She doesn't mind that they're sitting on her rug, even though that they're kind of dirty and smelly from the journey. To start with, she doesn't even mind setting about the daunting task of cooking dinner for everyone. And even though it's still early, she makes a start on dinner, thinking that such an important guest as Jesus deserves a bit more effort than usual. Meanwhile, while Martha's getting dinner ready, Mary, her sister, is sitting with the others, listening to Jesus as he teaches. Have a look at verse 39. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. That's all very well, thinks Martha. 
But she's starting to get a bit annoyed at Mary. Because everything's going along okay in the kitchen for a while. But then Martha starts to realise that she's bitten off more than she can chew. Cooking for all these people. Trying to time everything so it's ready all at once. You know, the peas are warm but the roast isn't quite ready. Now the gravy's burning. And folding the napkins into the shape of a swan is a lot harder than she remembered it being. And Mary's just sitting there, listening to Jesus, ignoring the evils that that Martha's casting her way. Enough is enough, she decides. It was time to put her sister in her place. So Martha decides to teach Mary a lesson by not only embarrassing her in front of everyone, but by getting Jesus himself to point out her selfishness. Surely this is a perfect opportunity for Jesus to teach his disciples a lesson about being the greatest servant. If she's honest with herself, she can hardly believe that Jesus hasn't been concerned enough to say something to Mary off his own back. But then again, he probably doesn't want to cause a scene, she thinks. Never mind, I'll cause the scene for him. So she walks up to Jesus, she interrupts his teaching... And look at what she says in verse 40. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. It's always dangerous to get between fighting sisters. I should know, I've got four of them. Normally the best thing to do is just to to stay out of it. But Jesus doesn't shrink back. He calls things for what they are. And what he says is surprising to many of us. Verse 41, Martha, Martha. Now, he's not being patronising, but he is gently rebuking her. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Depending on your personality you'll probably find Jesus' rebuke of Martha here either understandable or a little confusing. I mean, if you're a real kind of people person who loves talking more than doing, then maybe you feel like Jesus is, is endorsing that. But if you're the kind of person who likes to serve behind the scenes, then maybe you feel like Jesus is being a bit unfair. I mean, after all, what did we see last week? Jesus has just spoken about the good Samaritan and the importance of being a good neighbour. And now, as Martha serves Jesus, he says she hasn't chosen the best option. Literally, he says, she's missed the good portion. It's almost like Jesus is saying that Martha's been making portions of food for everyone, but the one portion, the one dish that she really needed to worry about She's neglected. But Mary, on the other hand, has chosen the good portion and she hasn't even been in the kitchen. She's just been sitting at Jesus' feet listening. But you see, that's the point, isn't it? Jesus has prepared the good portion, the one dish that shouldn't have been neglected. But Martha's been so distracted that she's failed to see that the one thing she needs is what Jesus has prepared for her and not what she's prepared for him. 
So what exactly is the one thing that Martha needed? To see this, we've got to look back at what exactly it is that Mary's chosen. Have a look back in verse 39 a bit closer with me. Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. The good portion, the one thing not to be distracted from, the the one thing that's needed is listening to Jesus. It's hearing his teaching, receiving his, his message, it's feeding on his word. Now when you stop and think about it, Martha has definitely made a poor choice here. It's not like only one of them could listen and the other one had to serve. Martha could have joined Mary and they could have eaten at midnight. Big deal. Israel's Messiah is sitting in her lounge room. The long-awaited king who reveals God's kingdom. The son of God who speaks the very words of God wants to speak to Martha. And she's too distracted by timing the peas and the roast. She's totally misunderstood Jesus and what he's on about. He's too important for us to serve in a distant kind of way. He's not impressed by culinary creativeness. He's not Matt Preston. He's not impressed by any attempt to impress him that distances ourselves from him. In fact, did you know that Jesus didn't even come to be served? In Luke 22, later on, in verse 27, amazingly he says, I'm among you as the one who serves. Think about it. His meal with Martha is a pit stop on the way to his sacrificial death in Jerusalem. He's come to serve Martha. She needs to stop, sit at his feet and receive from him. Some people you might hear say things like, I'm more of a Martha than a Mary. And what they mean by that is they're more interested in practical expressions of faith than kind of contemplating and learning. They're doers, not thinkers. But the point of this passage isn't to elevate the contemplative life over the practical life, that's not the point. Jesus isn't backing Mary because she's chosen thinking over doing. Jesus backs Mary because she's chosen to listen to his teaching as her first priority. What Jesus is teaching his followers here on the journey is that the practical life is misguided and ultimately useless if it bypasses Jesus' word. The one thing we need is to feed on what Jesus wants to serve us. Now, in God's providence, we're learning this lesson from Jesus as we're launching our year here at TNE, as we're commissioning people to, to serve us. From my perspective, it was sheer coincidence that we're looking at this passage on this Sunday, but from God's point of view, there's no such thing as coincidence. I can't think of a better lesson that we need to learn as we start another year serving Jesus than this. Before we stand and serve, we need to sit at Jesus' feet. 
Are you more of a Martha or a Mary? This isn't a question about personality types. It's about what choices you're making. Mary chose the good portion. What about you? Are you listening to Jesus' teaching? Have you recognised that you need to hear from Him as your first priority, the the one thing that you need? Because like Martha, for us, there are any number of things that can distract us from listening to Jesus' teaching, things that we have to deal with. And most of them are actually good things as well, like study or work or friends, sport, even family. But unlike Martha, we've got to deal with our distractions in a different way. You know, Jesus was sitting in Martha's lounge room. She literally needed to put the wooden spoon down and go and sit at his feet. But we're in a different context to Martha. We can't do it. We can't, we can't give priority to Jesus' teaching like that. See, it's not like next time Kathy, my wife, asks me to help cook dinner, that I can quickly grab a Bible and say, Kathy, Kathy... You're distracted by many things. Right now I'm reading my Bible, which, which, by the way, is the better portion. And Jesus says, you can't take that away from me. See, dealing with distractions in our context is different. It's about getting our priorities right. So for me, it might mean getting out of bed 30 minutes earlier and reading God's Word to me, His, His, the Scriptures. For you, it might mean something entirely different. It might mean joining a community group this year. For someone else, it might mean actually changing their attitude as they read God's Word to them in the Bible. In a church like ours, it strikes me that we really need to learn this basic lesson from Jesus well. You know, we don't have a building that's our own, so there's a lot of serving to do here. There's something like I haven't counted in the last couple of months, but 90 of us on the rosters and each week a third of us roughly are doing some sort of role serving and we've been going for almost seven years now and some of you have been doing the same jobs since the beginning and we've planted a church and we want to do it all over again. It would be so easy for us to get so caught up in serving Jesus in the metaphorical kitchen that we prioritise that over sitting at Jesus' feet. I thought it might be helpful if we just pause in this moment and and think through a little bit more, could that be us? I want to show you uh, some signs that could possibly indicate that we have got our priorities wrong. These are some questions that may or may not be useful to help us see that, like this first one. Do you only come to church when you're on the roster? Or do you find it hard to just be at church and and receive from God's Word and not to serve? When you're on jam or minis or fix or leading a community group, do you first apply the passage to yourself Or are you just trying to get the job done? When you're on creche or jam or you can't make it on a Sunday, do you listen to the sermon later for your own edification so you can stay under God's Word, connected with the series? When you read the Bible, is it pretty much always just a matter of discipline, a 
chore rather than a time of wonder and growing in your love for Jesus? Do you only go to community group for other people's sake or because of the fellowship because you don't feel you personally need anything or get anything from God's Word? Do you find church not stimulating enough because you're not getting any new information as if the challenge of following Jesus was primarily an information issue rather than a heart devotion issue? Finally, do you skip prayer and personal Bible reading when you run out of time in order to get other jobs done? These are just some questions. There's many more we could ask and just because we fail at one of them doesn't necessarily mean that we need to relearn this basic lesson. But it could mean that. It could show us that we need to revisit this basic lesson from Jesus. I've needed to revisit this basic lesson from Jesus many times in my life, more than once. One time it took moving cities and and moving churches to realise that I'd become like Martha. I went from leading services at this church, leading a Bible study playing in the music, being on the leadership team, organising events at a church in Wagga, to turning up to a church in Newcastle and being told to just get to know them for six months before serving. Without all the jobs, I, I felt lost. I felt distant from God, hollow and kind of empty. I'd become distracted by all my serving and confused it with being close to God as if God needed me to serve Him. God doesn't need us. He can raise up others to take our place. We need Him. It's a privilege and a joy serving Him when we're receiving from Him, when His Word gives us the strength to serve in grace and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. But it's a burden and destructive to our faith when we, res- when we serve relying on ourselves. If you're not doing too well spiritually, if you're not serving because you love Jesus, because He's filled you up with His Word, don't keep serving like that. To keep serving like that is to do yourself harm. Maybe it would be best for you just to stop that role altogether. But definitely, it would be best to stop and sit at His feet and receive from Him with an attitude that says, Lord, I need to receive from You. Without You, my service is useless. Now, I don't know about you, but I find Jesus in this teaching moment incredibly confronting. This is another avant-garde kind of moment, radical, unorthodox, confronting the things that we hold sacred. But if we think about it right, It's actually immensely encouraging. See, we probably don't have the money to build cathedrals. We probably don't have the skill to to preach to thousands of people or the mental strength to take the gospel to the jungles of South America as missionaries. But these things don't necessarily honour God. What does honour Him, we can all do. Sit at Jesus' feet listen to His Word and receive from Him. The next thing that Jesus teaches us on the journey is that we need to pray with perseverance 
and confidence. We're not going to spend as much time on this today as the first part, but look at how it unfolds in verse 1 of chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus then goes on to teach about the content of prayer and then how they should pray. The first and the most striking thing that he teaches them about prayer is that they are to pray to God as Father in verse 2. We can just take this for granted if we've been a Christian for a long time. But this is exactly the way that Jesus himself addresses God in Luke 10, 21. Christian prayer is to a personal God who is not like a father, but is the father. And the significance of this can hardly be overstated. It's a key difference between Christian prayer and how people from many other religions pray. Of the 99 different names for God in Islam, like the compassionate and the strong, Father just isn't one of them. In fact, it's offensive to a Muslim that God would be called Father. But Jesus opens up a relationship with God that's intimate, personal. Jesus himself prays to God as Father and he enables us to do the same. Christian prayer is an amazing thing. It's not religious, it's deeply relational. Prayer is one of the key places that we express our close relationship with God. Well, the content of the prayer that Jesus teaches them has two desires and three requests. You can see the two desires in verse 2, that God's name might be hallowed and that his kingdom might come. Hallowed means that we desire God's name to be treated as holy. Your kingdom come means we desire God's purposes for his world to come about through his rule. I mean, these are incredibly short desires, but they're actually big picture, world-changing requests about God's name and his rule. I wonder if you consider the big picture when you pray. If you're anything like me, then your prayers will be dominated by the nitty-gritty of the things that I feel I need. And as we see in what follows, it's right for us to bring individual needs to God, but our biggest needs are for God's big picture plans for the world to come about. The three requests that follow are for our daily needs, food, forgiveness and freedom from temptation. And though we might be tempted to think that our our needs are insignificant to an almighty and eternal God, to Him they matter because we know Him as Father and because we matter to Him. Jesus, by the way, here isn't teaching a way to pray. Jesus here is teaching the way to pray. It's not that we can't use different words, but always we pray to God as Father. Always we pray keeping in mind God's big picture purposes for the world and always we pray recognising our daily dependence on Him for food, forgiveness and freedom from temptation. Jesus then continues teaching about prayer by telling a story of a man who needs bread at midnight 
for a traveller in verse 5. He moves from what to pray to how to pray. The man knocks on his friend's door and he gets the bread that he needs. But did you see why in verse 8? Have a look. Not because of the strength of their friendship, but because of the strength of his voice and his sheer sheer perseverance at such a late hour. It's like the man inside knows he's not going to get back to sleep until he gives his friend friend some bread. Try it out somehow, sometime, you know, from your neighbour. See what you can get at midnight. We could make it a bit of a competition. If you get a black eye, I take no responsibility. But what's Jesus' point in this parable? I mean, is Jesus saying that God is like a grumpy old man, sleepy, who must be yelled at again and again and again before you get what you want? Of course not. But sometimes that's how we think about Him, and sometimes how we treat Him. It's even taught by some people that by repeated prayer, you can get what you want from God as if you can twist His arm. But you've only got to read down a few more verses to see that God's arm doesn't need twisting. He's always ready to give good gifts. G.B. Caird wrote, God does not have to be waked or cajoled into giving us what we need. Many gifts he bestows on the ungodly and ungrateful, but his choicest blessings are reserved for those who will value them and who show their appreciation by asking until they receive makes me think of a kid who asks their dad for something valuable like a family heirloom or his watch or something like that. If over the years he goes on showing an interest, eventually, probably, the father will give it to him as a graduation present or a 21st or something like that. But whether that's how God thinks of it or not, one thing is certain here. God may not always give us what we want, but he will always give us what we need Parables often only have one point and the point of this parable is simply that we need to persevere in prayer. We can be audacious in asking God for what we need, never disrespectful but never timid. We can talk to God with boldness because we know God is a good Father who wants to give us every good gift. But did you notice exactly what it is that God gives us in verse 13? Have a look. It doesn't actually say good gifts, but that He'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him, which might sound a bit out of place to us here. But Jesus' point is that there's no greater gift that God can give, because in giving the Holy Spirit, He's actually giving Himself to every believer, which is only made possible through Jesus' death and resurrection. This is a costly gift. The giving of the Holy Spirit is a big picture moment in God's purposes for the world. Jesus is telling his followers that a time is coming when God will give his Holy Spirit to every believer. And we are in that time. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to sit at Jesus' feet and receive from him. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to speak to God as Father. And it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to stand and serve in His strength, not in our own. See, the thing about prayer, just like listening to Jesus' teaching, is that we're not doing God a favour by doing it. We're doing ourselves a favour. Actually, 
we're asking God for His favour. We're recognising our need and we're looking to Him to fill it. This year, let's do that. Let's recognise our need and choose the good portion. As we launch the year, don't get your priorities wrong. Don't put work or sport or even family above hearing from Jesus. Don't put even ministry above hearing from Jesus. We desperately need to be taught from Jesus. Let's make listening to God and speaking to to Him our priority. We need to be learners sitting at Jesus' feet for life. Let's pray and ask God's help for that. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to see our desperate need to be fed by Jesus. That we need Him, you don't need us. Lord, we need His life-giving words, His message, His teaching. Lord, help us to come to Him and be filled, to be overflowing. Not that serving you in response will always be easy, but we will always be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Lord, speak to us through your your life-giving word. Help us to speak with you always in everything, at all times, with thankfulness, by your Holy Spirit prompting us and even speaking on our behalf when we just don't have the words to say. And Lord, as we serve you, Help us to do it dependent on you, in the strength of your Holy Spirit, confident in you alone. Lord, help us to be content to sit at Jesus' feet and be learners all our days. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.